The Chet Topic Podcast Network. Two Angry Men. A podcast featuring a legendary baseball player and a legendary sports broadcaster. Two Angry Men. And now here's your hosts, Chet Cobbing and Denny McLean. Uh, common Sense, of course, is not the name of the game, as once again we welcome you to Two Angry Men, Chet Kopik here in Chicago, and the legendary, put it in bold type, famed uh, organ player from Motown and former 31-game winner, our good friend Denny McLean. All right, pal, you know what? Get down on your hands and knees and do a Hail Mary and tell Brett Favre how sorry you are because, good morning, Monday night, his game, the Vikes against the Packers, did an all-time cable rating television record 23 million households. So you're going to tell me whether he's 30, 40, 50, or 200 that Brett Favre isn't one of the two or three most valuable commodities the National Football League has right now in its case. Oh, I, I never said he wasn't a valuable commodity for the NFL. As long as he is not hurt, as long as he's not crying and moaning about, well, I don't know if I'm going to play, I don't know if I want to play, you know, I don't you know, do this. I mean, kind of a crybaby. I'm very disappointed in him. I thought he was a man's man, and I've been fooled by it the last couple of years. Listen, uh, let's. Uh, he threw a great pass that was caught with a great catch. I don't think if he threw a hundred more passes like that, I don't think they'd catch any more than one. I, it was, you know what, what it was the Hail Mary. Come on, let's admit what it is. It's a Doug Flutie Hail Mary. It was in the right place at the right moment. Nothing more, nothing less. I want to see him do it again because just like he was in New York, he played real well the first four or five games there and then went in the pooper scooper. So I'm, I'm anxious yeah, to see what yeah. happens over the next couple of games in the pooper scooper. But, uh, big guy, if you're not a man's man, explain this to me. How do you as a quarterback, where you're getting your brains knocked out and where they're adjusting rules every 15 minutes, right. and uh, Ditka told me 25 years ago the quarterback should basically play in dresses. That being said, this guy has started over 270 consecutive games, and you're going to say he's not a man's man? No, I'm not. Uh, I, what I'm talking about is uh, don't confuse with what he's done over the past. First of all, I don't listen. I think he's been a star, but they made him out to be a superstar. I don't think he's ever been a superstar, my friend. He's he's throwing too many interceptions over the years. He's throwing the ball into too much coverage over the years. All of the things that make a bad quarterback. He, the difference is he still can throw the ball and he threw the ball very hard. Man's man. Now. If he doesn't become such a crybaby the last couple of years, and don't be fooled, folks. I know we all love to play, but we all love to win when we play, and he thought he had a good chance in Minnesota to win. Also, i I got to point something out. Maybe it's not very important to you, my friend, Chester the Molester. This guy's making $10 million, going to make 20 next year. Excuse me. That's not a brain surgeon decision. You know, you're really a negative guy. You really are a negative guy. I mean, first of all, he's a three-time most valuable player. What the hell do you want? He was great. He was a great player. I just think that he stayed too long at the dance. I don't care what's happened so far this season. See, people like you, Chet, always want to jump on the bandwagon. You jump on it so quick, and then when the guy goes into the pooper scooper, you guys condemn him. Well, I'm just telling you, he's not the deal that he appears to be. Listen, he's still probably better than 80% of the guys in his league. God knows. I mean, uh, there's enough garbage out there in the NFL as a quarterback that uh, shouldn't be in the be in the NFL. But on the other hand, I'm telling you, let him play four, five, six games, then see what happens, and I'll guarantee you, 
he goes right in the pooper scooper after five or six games. I don't think, first of all, I don't think if it wasn't for the ten million, he wouldn't be playing. But number two, I don't think a guy forty years old can do this. I really don't. He's done it for a couple of games. Now let's see what happens. I just do not believe that he will continue to be successful, number one. Minnesota made a big big shot here. And number two, just go back to the Jets. That's all I'm telling you. Go back and look what he did there. And then he said, well, I was so unhappy in New York. I mean, come on, Jet. All he does is cry when things don't go well. And he will cry again. Get the get the towels out, boys. All right, man. Now, uh, now you heard it here first from Copic. I am first guessing on this and not second guessing. Michael Crabtree, the guy of uh, Texas A&M or Texas Tech, you know, one or the other. It really matters not. Make the, any the last guy, the last guy uh, to sign from the first round of uh, this past April's uh, National Football League draft, inks a deal with the 49ers. Are you ready for this? Yeah. One of his apparent advisors on the deal was MC Hammer. So I will tell you right now, this guy's posse will establish a brand new National Football League record. And also, Denny, in about five or six years, Michael Crabtree will be broke. Yeah, he'll be suing MC Hammer for the hammer. I mean, come on. I, I mean, see, you know, these kids, and MC Hammer, you know, he's, notor- he's a notorious guy. But, you know, call it the way it is. Uh, he is a notorious guy. He's a notorious character. And I just, I'm afraid when these young kids get hung up with the name MC Hammer, Hammer's going to bring all these good-looking women into his life. He's going to bring a lot of other musical stars into his life and Hollywood stars. And the kid and the kid will get hung up with all of the elements. And once the elements start to get into his life, bad things start to occur real quick. I, I And I just suspect with a guy like MC Hammer, you know, it, it kind of lends itself to the gang. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the, like, uh, not the hood, far more serious than the hood because the hood guys who first got in the hood never had any money. These guys come in with fives and tens of millions of dollars, and they're ready to go. And guess what? They're everybody's best friend for the first couple of years. And like you said, until all the money's gone, then they throw them in the curb. All I know is this. If I'm a football player... Or a broadcaster, which is how I've earned my living. One of the last guys on God's earth I would want to call up for any kind of advice is fucking MC Hammer. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. I mean, unless MC is going to do something for him in a very serious way, but I, I suspect, and I don't want to get anybody in trouble for this, but I think MC Hammer, uh, I think his entree to this kid is. And, and don't take this the wrong way, although I do mean most of it. You know, MC Hammer may be this kid's pimp for a while. And, and I don't say that in such an uh, unbelievable fashion. Listen, how do you lure a 21-year-old kid, 22-year-old kid out of college? Push. You, yeah, that's exactly right. You just bring him the gals, and they become your friends for quite some time. And I suspect maybe he got hooked on that. And, you know, by the way, there's nothing being nothing wrong with being hooked on it. You just got to be careful how far you go with the hook. You know, uh, we have kind of a miserable offseason here in Chicago. Uh, the Cubs now shockingly have gone 101 years without winning a World Series. Uh, the White Sox, uh, uh, even Guillen said, you know, we, we underachieved. But I'm thinking about a guy who I, I, I really like. I, I knew Jim Leland when he was coaching third base for the yeah. White Sox back in the 80s. His offseason is going to be the offseason from hell, as far as I'm concerned. He managed this ball club into the toilet. He did it for the last three or four weeks. Playing kids every day, 
playing kids when it counted the last two weeks of the season when it really counted, uh, leaving your veterans on the bench, resting mags, resting some of the Cabrera, although Cabrera may have needed a little bit more rest than uh, what we're now finding out with the drinking problem. But, you know, uh, what he did in this game the other night uh, with Porcello, Porcello actually was the best pitcher they had here all year long. Problem was, we never knew if he could really pitch after the fifth inning or 100 pitches. Why Leland took him out? See, what I don't understand is this. The longer you leave Porcello in the game, and he had a lead at the time, the longer you leave him in the game, the less number of people you're going to have to use in the seventh or eighth inning. Mm-hmm. What got us in trouble, of course, our relief pitchers again. But I don't understand it. Not only that, but when he brings him in for Porcello, I'm talking about Minor. Minor gets out of the inning. Okay, we're fine. Now we've let Minor come out again to pitch the three left-handed hitters in a row. So what's he smoking? What's he drinking? I don't understand it. But it was the worst job of managing I've seen in a very long time. And this wasn't the only game, Chet. He was horrible the entire month of September. I'm telling you, no, nobody in our town. This is a very, this is a very soft town when it comes to the media. You're aware of that in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. And I want to tell you something. With very few exceptions, everybody's kissing his ass. This guy did not do the job that they paid him for. He got lucky during the first part of the year through the middle of the season because he kept bringing up kids in the minor leagues that nobody had ever seen before in the big leagues. So they were able to, you know, get by a start or two and do some good things. He caught a little lightning in a bottle. But once the lightning was put out, he had to manage, and he couldn't do it. You know the other thing that's really got me griped? Let me tell you. All of these guys who are sliding in the outfield trying to catch fly balls. Can you tell me what the hell's going on? I, I, I know right where you're going. That, that might have been the, sing- the, the Rayburn play might have been the single dumbest play I have seen the entire year. And my, our kids have been doing it for the last two or three months. And, and I think the kid who set the pattern is our center fielder, Granderson, who, who, by the way, is from Blue Island. Great kid. Just a wonderful kid. But the bottom line is he starts this sliding, trying to catch balls all the time, trying to make everything look like a superstar catch. And you can see half of the catches that he slides to catch. Hell, he could have caught it standing up eye level. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. They all want to get their pictures on the front of the magazine. They all want to become, uh, you know, the city's number one guy. And, um, you know, I don't understand it. why they're going so far out of their way to promote themselves. I've never seen, I, I was telling Sharon last night watching the postgame stuff, I've never seen so many interviews where the word I was such a large part. Never once did I hear somebody say last night, hey, man, what a team we have. Look at how we played tonight. We've been doing this. We've been doing that. If you took the word I out of everybody's vocabulary last night, it would have been a silent postgame show. In your opinion, how much better a manager is Ron Gardenhire than Ozzie Guillen? No, Gardenhire plays the game. He plays the game nine innings. That's the difference. And Gardenhire has got a team that plays within his window. Um, he picks that ball club in spring training, makes some adjustments during early and early on in the season. And every one of those guys is a small ball player. Now, it doesn't hurt to have those two guys in the middle lineup either when they're both healthy. But I want to tell you something. This is some ball club. Now, I don't know if they're going to beat the Yankees. They, they lost seven in a row to them this year. But uh, you know what? This was a great story. It was a great choke by our Tigers. It was a greater story for Minnesota to come from where they were and to win it in the one-game playoff. Listen, was there ever a better baseball game than what we saw the other night? 
No, I said, as a matter of fact, that that would have been uh, uh, the windup of an ALCS or a World Series game. It would be labeled right now a classic, an Mm -hmm. absolute classic. Absolutely. I just thought it was, uh, you know, every, it wasn't every inning, it was every pitch. Yeah, you know, yeah. And then, and then well, I want to say one other thing. We got a kid on this ball club in Detroit called Brandon Inge, who they have made uh, into a uh, hero of some kind. And I'm, and I'm not saying that he's not a hero in some circles. He does, he does do some charity work in Detroit and everything else. But everybody was promoting him this year, and I, and I'm not going to get into his personal life. But everybody was promoting him at the beginning of the year. He was hitting 320. He was hitting home runs every time he went up. He was going to knock in 3,000 runs and break Babe Ruth's record this year. And I said this. The fourth or fifth week of the season, somebody said, well, what do you think about Inge now? Because I've always said a 230 hitter is a 230 hitter. Guess what? He uh, hit 230. Also, can you explain this? Who was the drunk? Who was the psychobabbling misfit who did Brandon Inge's tattoos? Those are oh, the ugliest oh tattoos God. this side of Dennis Rodman. We are going to find out one day how drunk he was the day that he did it. He said those are his kids' names on his arm. That's okay, Brandon. But nobody in the world does that kind of thing. I mean, it, you know, I've always, and maybe it's just the way I was raised, but the body is kind of a, uh, a, a place of sanctity. You're not supposed to be killing your body, writing it up. And, and I know tattoos are really a big thing. But, boy, I want to tell you, if that's, if that's, I don't know, if right thing, wrong thing, but you had to be drunk. Isn't there a lot of pain with that stuff when they do it? Hell yes. I mean, that took a lot of time to do whatever he had done on his arms. And every time you look at it, you wonder, what the hell is he thinking about? You know, what the you hell know, was he thinking about? What was he drinking? What was he smoking? Because, man, whatever it was, if I took it, I think I can pitch again. You know, the babe who uh, uh, does my hair, cuts my hair, she's been doing it for years. She's got about nine tattoos. And she told me she spent about maybe, oh, 1500 to have the tattoos done. Wow. She's already Denny spent $15,000 trying to have them removed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the problem with them. They're not exact. You can't take an eraser and just get rid of them. I guess they've got some processes in place now that, that they can get a little bit of it out. But, boy, I want to tell you, I, I begin to wonder. Uh, you know, he's a kid from Virginia or, or West Virginia or someplace down there. I don't know. Maybe that's the mentality down there. I, I, I have no idea. But, man, I want to tell you something. I, and I also think, between you and me and the doorposts, I believe it sends out the wrong message to our kids that are watching guys like Brandon Inge. He's got a big following of young kids here. He's, he's done a lot of charity work in this town. But, boy, I just think that's the wrong message to send. I, I, you know, hey, listen, oh, boy, let's, look what Brandon did. Well, I'm going to go put the name of my dog and my cat on my arm tomorrow. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's just a bad message. Yeah, I think I'll go out tonight, Denny, and get my ex-wife's name put on my ankle. <laughs> I mean, how, how, how cool would that be? Oh man, I want to tell you, your, your current, your current gal would love it, wouldn't she? Oh, she'd be crazy about it. Now, now listen, speaking of the, uh, of the human body, you, you'll appreciate this. Rick Riley, uh, writing for ESPN.com about, uh, about covering locker rooms. Now, now, now hear me out because you're really going to appreciate this. Riley writes, I have spent more time around naked men than Jenna Jameson and the American Proctology Association combined. Which is weird <laughs> because when I got into journalism, I dreamed of winning Pulitzer Prizes sending off breathless dispatches to a waiting nation and meeting scar-faced sources with Lugers in their trench coats. I never thought, instead, I'd spend most of my time interviewing naked men with more hair than a supercuts dumpster. 
<laughs> I once, riding along in a van, laptop open, interviewed golfer John Daly and happened to look up and see him holding his uh, Big Bertha in his hand and cackling. <laughs> Have you ever thought there's there's something kind of unnatural about a bunch of, you know, clothed media guys walking into a locker room where you got 25 naked men and now you got, you know, you got, you got chicks and chicks have been around for 20 years, the, the whole nine yards. I mean, the, the whole thing... The whole thing is kind of weird to me. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I don't know. I um, I just always thought that the um, interviews for a ball game, I don't care what sport it is, I guess football may do it the best. Uh, they bring the players out in a major way, and they have their press conferences like that after a game. I still think that's the best way to do it. I, I, I just don't like this idea. When I was playing, we didn't have women in the clubhouse. I mean, I guess a couple of them started to come in just as I was retiring. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just can't imagine walking, you know, and when I played, guys didn't wear um, any kind of a dress when they were going from their locker to the shower. I mean, we didn't wear towels around ourselves. We just carried a towel and, you know, your ding-dings were rocking up and down, rocking side to side, and you were going to the uh, shower to do your thing. But... I I I don't think I could have ever gotten used to a woman in the clubhouse. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And now with all of these other things they're allowed to do, because sooner or later, listen, and it's coming. It's coming sooner than we want to admit. Sooner or later, you're going to have live cameras in those clubhouses after every ball game all the time. And then a, a, a sooner or later, somebody's going to make a mistake and get their wing-wing uh, on TV. And then, of course, uh, all hell will break loose, and, uh, and the uh, commissioner will come down. Our commissioner, anyway, in baseball will say, I don't even know if he knows he's still commissioner. Our commissioner will come down and say, okay, only one penis a week. <laughs> I mean, sooner or later, it's got to happen. I'm telling you, it's got to happen, Chester. Hey, it, by the it, way, it, it, it's Eddie, crazy Eddie what, George. They, what they've allowed in the game. Eddie George, in the same piece written mm-hmm. by Rick Riley. And, you know, Eddie George, a hell of a running back, says, of, if I'd been as well endowed as certain guys I played with, <laughs> I would have gone to a table, put my right knee up, and said, all right, fire away. <laughs> well, I will tell you, no, I'm not going there. I'm not. I'm not going to do penis jokes. Uh, but uh, we had a guy. We'll tell you one story. We had a guy in our club who will go nameless here uh, in the early middle '60s. And uh, I'm going to tell you what. Uh, you know what a K55 is? A baseball bat? Yeah, sure. Well, his ding ding was about almost as long as a K55. Oh, hey, listen. Oh. Man, he had to tape it with tape just to keep it down. Do you remember a linebacker named? Uh, do you remember a linebacker named Otis Wilson with the Bears? Sure, of course. I'm telling you, if Otis Wilson walked up to Secretariat, he'd say, "Is that all you got?" This is this is going nowhere, Chet. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we? Why don't we? Uh, kind of like my uh, career. One, one thing about the Olympics, I think it was horrible that. The United States did not get the Olympics, whether it's Chicago or some, some, somebody, somewhere else. I mean, we have the president go and, you know, they talk about all the politics involved and how they hate the United States and everybody else. Hell, we knew that going in. But, and, and whatever, um, 
uh, what do they call it, intelligence information they had. I mean, come on, this is the Olympics. I mean, they all wanted to have their picture taken with our president. They all wanted to be seen with him. They all wanted to shake his hand. They wanted to get as close to him as they can, but they didn't want to give us the Olympics. I mean, you know what the Olympics mean, mean to our country. And, and coming to Chicago, uh, who is much like the city of Detroit, the unemployment, all of that has a rollover effect. And it's just too bad. Uh, I, I felt horrible. I felt horrible for the president, but more importantly, I, for, I felt, because I'm born and raised in Chicago, I mean, I felt horrible for the city. I uh, I just can't believe we didn't get it. It, it just uh, made me sick all day. Well, two things. Number one, it was obvious that uh, Oprah Winfrey might be big in uh, Terre Haute and uh, yeah, uh, right. Traverse City, but uh, doesn't play all that well uh, with people from uh, uh, Zimbabwe or Barcelona. That's number one. Yeah. And number yeah. two, how would you like to be Mayor Daly here in Chicago, where you got a hired truck scandal, you got the worst public schools in America? No, 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 we nephew. do. Well, okay, it's a tie. Detroit yeah. and Chicago, and maybe we throw in the Bronx as a third component. Um, you got all kinds of problems. And, Denny, you went to the private sector for $50 yep. million just to get in the bid. You tell me how many tabs our beloved mayor has out right now. He can't pay them off in five lifetimes. Mm-mm-mm. I didn't realize that. I um, I just think I think it was a uh, horrible thing. That's all. Whether whether the mayor's at fault or who's ever at fault. First of all, I don't think there is anybody at fault. We just got whacked, and we're going to get whacked. I mean, there's no question. People are jealous of this great country we live in. But you know what? And and it's just like you and I talking here. You and I can criticize our mayor and our president and everybody else. And by the way, Oprah found out she's not queen of the world. You're absolutely right. But but no one else is allowed to do that. I think you agree with me. Some guy from Germany tell me that, you know, America sucks. I'm going to knock him on his ass. Uh, you know, I've got the right to do that, but that guy doesn't, or the guy from Australia, Australia or Austria, wherever the hell this, these people are, um, it just irritated the hell out of me. And to see everybody cheering and to read all the columns the next couple of days, even from our writers who criticized the president for going. If you were President Chet, you would have gone. I would have gone. He was born and raised in Chicago. You Come had, on, the guys. The president had an obligation to go. Obligation, this you're right. This is an international event. It's a global stage. Yes. You're from Chicago. Also, you know, Daly in no small way helped to put Obama in office. Yeah, so sure, were, of course. There were, you know, there were, there were tabs to be covered. I had no problem with Obama going whatsoever. Hey, okay, big deal. He slept on the plane. He was out of Washington for basically about about four or five working hours. You know yeah, what? In conclusion, here's the real problem with all of it, Denny. There will not be an Olympics on American soil in our lifetime. Oh, no. I, I would I hate like hell to that. think that's true. Well, we're, we're not going to bid again before 2024, I wouldn't think. You think that's the you think that's the earliest we're going to get another bid? I would think so. Yeah. Oh, that would be terrible because uh, nobody hosts it like we do. Nobody, nobody can do the job like we do. A lot of countries will spend more money, probably, but they'll do it with slave labor or they'll do it with prison labor. We will do it with legitimate people who legitimately want to do it and who legit, legitimately want to work. That's that's the other problem I have because all these countries that were awarded something, they're going to put prisoners to work. They're going to put slave, you know, slavery's back in some of these countries when they're awarded. Yeah. And look, look in China. Look what they did in China. It was one of the greatest dog and pony shows. But if anybody ever finds out who put that show together, 
people will vomit because it was all the prisoners and the lower echelon who were, who busted their ass to make that work. Hey, my man, in closing, I will say this. Every time I look at a Michael Jordan Nike gym shoe, all I can think of is this. The slave labor that put that <laughs> shoe together, making four cents an hour. Yeah, Outsourced. And that's not Michael's fault, not no, your fault not or my all. fault, but uh, I believe some of these companies have a much more bigger responsibility to do the right thing. And, of course, as long as there's a dollar to be made, very few large conglomerates are ever going to be completely on the right page. And, listen, I'm all for free commerce. I'm all for go make all you want. But you know what? you got to share it with everybody. And some of these bigger outfits, they don't know what share is all about. Hi, champ. Uh, game, set, and match. He is Denny McClain, the incredible Denny McLean, and once again, we hope we haven't uh, insulted your senses to uh, the point that you'll, you know, either kick the dog or tell your wife to uh, to buzz off. Uh, Denny, of course, uh, we're on board 24 hours a day with this podcast. Seven days, brand new podcast will be up featuring two very, very angry men. My good friend, Capiche, I love you. You are the best. I'll talk to you in seven. Chet, it's been terrific. Once again, I got to get out of here because I got to go have a drink with Cabrera. Have a good <laughs> thing. 